0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Well, historically, I haven't haven't been very good at celebrations. Um, Receiving them makes me feel uncomfortable. And so consequently, uh, I haven't been very good at throwing them on behalf of uh, someone else. But I have gotten better, and I, and, I, and I am getting better, because my understanding of why celebrations matter has matured. Celebrations are thrown as an expression of honor. You're throwing a celebration on behalf of someone else, it's an expression of honor. We, don't, we, we live in an honor-less culture, right? Not, not an honor-more culture. And so, so the, the, the giving of honor is a good thing. Celebrations are thrown to highlight except, exceptional achievements. Um, celebrations are thrown to commemorate past events. And then when you, when you have a celebration that commemorates a past event, what you're really doing is you're leveraging the past for the future, right? You're leveraging the past for the future when you commemorate a past, a memorable past event. So, but you know who is really, really good at planning and carrying off celebrations? God is really, really good at developing and planning and carrying off celebrations. In the Old Testament, God created three national celebrations, and they also were known as feasts, proving that no celebration is complete without good food. Right? All those ancient feasts had uh, and still have a central quality to the life Our lives, which we'll demonstrate today, the lives of those who celebrated then. Because they celebrated God fulfilling a promise. And when you celebrate God fulfilling a promise, what you're doing is you're reinforcing the fact that he fulfills promises. What what, what he's done in the past, he does in the now, and he does in the future. All right? So um, the Passover feast was the first of three national Jewish feasts. Every, and they were so important that, this, that, that every male Jew was required to be in Jerusalem for the celebration. Right, so no matter where they would have scattered, this would have been something to draw them back. And it was a seven-day celebration to celebrate um, the Egyptian slavery slavery ending. And, and when you read that in Exodus, it, was, it says it was 430 days or 430 years to the day, right? And if you remember already some, some, at some point in this, this year, I preached on the perfect timing of God, right? And so, so it was a celebration of that 430 years of slavery ending. Now that feast is the backdrop to what we celebrate as, as Easter. So, so we, what God's doing is layering and leveraging this feast of we have a physical celebration of a physical breakthrough of slavery, A physical timing of freedom to our spiritual timing of freedom, all right? Um, Jesus' death and resurrection brought about the release from slavery and bondage of sin. The cross bridges the relationship gap that sin created. And it's that piece of Easter and, and, and the death and resurrection of Christ that I think that is underplayed. And what, what I mean by that is I think we really play up the idea of our sin being forgiven. And if you drill down with that, really that's a legal, we're drilling down legally realizing that a, there was a legal obligation for the penalty, and then that legal obligation has been passed on to Christ. Christ dies, pays the price for us, and then the sin is now forgiven and gone. But, but what's the significance of the sin being Forgiven and gone. The significance is that the gap, the, the, the relational gap between us and God has been removed. That, that's the significant part of salvation. Not just that now somehow I'm in a different standing, but where am I standing? I'm standing close to the Father because that gap is gone. Christianity is 100% about our relationship with the Father, our Creator. And all of time has been put to restoring that relationship. Not just about we, now we're different people. Why are we different people? We're different people because now we are back in relationship with God, our creator. And we supersize celebration of Easter, don't we? I mean, you know, we we maximize this. Um, We start out, I'm just talking about us, right? So we, we start out with Palm Sunday. I mean, Palm Sunday begins our celebration of Easter, Um, We do a Good Friday service. We have a blowout for our kiddos, right? The Stations of the Cross. And then we add in the eggs and the candy because it's just a good mix. Um, And it culminates on Easter Sunday. Now, to give you an idea, this year, kind of our, our average Sunday morning attendance right, uh, is around in the low 400s, around 420 people on any given Sunday this year show up at Gateway at one time and one place to worship. And then you add our online, our online campus coming in at the, um, and it adds about another 80 to 100 people on any given Sunday, right? So that puts us in the low 500s on any given Sunday. Ah, but let's look at Easter. On Easter, our in-person, in-house attendance was, was over 770. And then, when you add in our online people who came watch online, we were in the low 900s. Now, if you've been around church world um, a little bit, you generally kind of poke fun at that somewhat, you know, you know the people who show up on Christmas and Easter. Um, but in fact, I think here's the best way to look at that: that the day is so significant that regardless of what your um, attendance patterns have become, a majority of people that attend a particular body. Decide, well, we're going to make sure on that day we're there. I might not be able to be there the day before, it's Sunday before. I might have only been able to be there this, this, that, that, that Sunday this whole month, but I'm going to be there. See, that, that, that is the significance that we, have, that we have realized about that one part of that celebration of Passover and Easter, because that resurrection Sunday is we're celebrating because our sin has been forgiven so that our relationship with God would be now put back in place. It's an important. It's important celebration. Now, you may not be aware, except um, um, Kelly said, tells people, Happy Pentecost Sunday. And that still may be a, um, still just kind of a generic, you don't even know really what that means, but today is the start of the second celebration, Jewish celebration, where all the Jewish males and families were expected to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival now, it was known as, um, is also known as the Feast of Weeks. So it was exactly seven weeks and one day from the Resurrection Sunday, okay? Feast of Weeks. Doesn't elicit a whole lot of energy there, does it? Feast of Weeks. So it's also known as the Feast of Pentecost, because penta is Greek for 50. It was 50 days removed from Passover. Again, not really something that elicits a lot of celebration. Um, but that's a marketing problem, not a substance problem, all right? I I really do. I really think we don't celebrate this one because it's more of a marketing problem, and you've just come off this big Easter thing, and so how important can be something 50 days later? Well, let's look at what it was designed to celebrate. It was designed to celebrate two particular things, and that we'll see the layered and the parallel in our lives um, now, first, historically, it was to mark the giving of the law from Moses, from God to Moses, and Moses to the people on Mount Sinai. Okay? Again, when you talk about someone being given the law, you'd say, yay, right? It's not another thing that elicits giving the law. Well, but let's understand what the law was given for 430 years living in slavery. All your identity is, is being a slave. You don't know any other context. No one that came out of Egypt knew any context other than slavery. All right? And listen, when, when, most, when God told Moses to go to Pharaoh, he told them not just, not just to let my people go. He said, let my people go so that they may worship me, which is a good indication that in, in that, in that uh, bondage situation... Worship of Yahweh didn't really exist and definitely doesn't exist how He's about to tell them how to do it. So the law is given for multiple reasons. One, it's given to bring identity to these people. They had no identity, their identity was slaves. The law was going to connect all of their behavior to the lawgiver, and that was going to give them identity. They were going to think differently, look differently, act differently, because the law was going to help them do that. The law would tell them how to worship. They didn't know how to worship. It was foreign to them. I want you to think back. Those of you who are followers of Christ now, I don't know, if you think about the context that you came out of. So my context, fortunately or unfortunately, had come through the church, all right? but I think about my friends whose context of coming to Christ did not come through the church, meaning they were an adult. Let me ask this. How many people you came to Christ as an adult after the age of 18? Perfect. And what I want you to think about is, did you have any context of worship before coming to Christ? I mean, what what could that have, I mean, even the concept of worship in general, like what is that about, right? And so you start maybe coming to church and you start looking around, okay, well, how do you do this? My dad, my dad who really uh, came to be a believer late, 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 I mean like probably years before he died, but he would come to church with me some in Atlanta. And um, I said, well, dad, what do you think? And he said, well, at least they tell me what to do when I'm supposed to do it. (laughs) It's time to stand, stand, it's time to clap claps i mean you know so you know you're giving me enough prompts through it right but that's more that's more a form right that that's um i remember i went to a methodist university i didn't know methodists from home ground okay i grew up as a spirit-filled pentecostal kid and i show up at a methodist university to do my doctoral project and i showed up at the first worship service and man there was a whole bunch of stuff like um the word of the lord um thanks be unto god i mean there was like they said something and you're supposed to know what to say who came from those traditions all right? All right. Well, when you're when you're foreign to that tradition, you're like, I'm I'm doing everything wrong. Right? I I don't I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm doing here. I got I snuggled up to a Methodist pastor and I said, Hey, I need you to prompt me. I need you to tell me what to do when I'm supposed to do it. So when when, when the law is given, God is shaping their worship to what what is it like to worship me? And this kind of plays into identity because our worship, how we worship, starts becoming our identity. And so the law is given to show them how to worship. This is how you do it. Now, right now, I'm reading through the Old Testament and I'm in Leviticus. Just saying. Yeah. Right? I'm just saying. And, 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 I, and I just and if, you, if, if that doesn't make any sense to you, pick it up and start reading it. And I'm going through all this meticulous of how to offer a sacrifice and for what and all this. I'm going, what in the world for? But it occurs to me If you don't know how to do something and you're doing it for the first time, doesn't it make sense that you'd be given specifically on how to do it correctly to honor God if you didn't have any idea of what to do, right? Isn't that the, I mean, setting you up for failure to say, hey, it's time for you to worship. Now you figure out what that means, right? So that makes sense to me. So so the law is given um, for identity. Hey, this is what. This is who we are, laws given to teach me how to worship. But then, more maybe more significantly, at least as significant, they were about to enter a land that they had no concept of. They had no concept of the cultures. They had no concept of how the other people worshipped other gods. Now, they had come out of a plethora of worship in Egypt, where even the Pharaoh was considered divine. Okay, so they they would have been bombarded in Egypt with with different gods to worship. Now they're going into an area of free people that's chosen to worship all kinds of different gods. The Canaanites would have worshipped in one particular way to one particular god. The Hittites, the Amorites, all the ites would have worshipped their own gods in their own ways and lived a lifestyle that was completely contrary to being identified with Yahweh. So what's the law's purpose there? The law's purpose is to help them live a life identified with God in a culture that didn't identify with God. That's a big deal, isn't it? And so they had a celebration for it. 50 days after being released, 50 days is long enough to figure out you don't know what to do next, and here comes the law. Now it was also kind of layered in there that it was also the beginning of the barley harvest. And so now, now this also represents provision that 50 days after this particular feast, harvest has come and we were, were, we're thanking God and honoring God for the harvest that he has brought to us. So we're celebrating. It's, it's, they seem like they're disconnect; They look and sound disconnected in that century. Ah, but when we come to Pentecost, when we come to Pentecost, the first one after Christ's resurrection, well, now some of these pieces start to flow together, together better. Again, with Passover, God doesn't change the celebration. He magnifies it. He layers it, okay? Same with Pentecost. He doesn't change the celebration of Pentecost, for us now after, after uh, the resurrection of Christ, he layers it. Um, if you have never read the Bible with eyes to see the activity of the Holy Spirit, you might think that this is the day everything begins with him, that this is the day he bursts on the scene. Now, I agree that on this day in the celebration and we'll, we'll work towards this, he is more visible, um, more out front visible than any other time but I liken it to this. Um, if, if you just bought a brand new red Jeep and you start driving that red Jeep around Cool Springs, you will be amazed at how many red Jeeps you see. You've experienced this, right? Before, you thought you were the only person ever to think about buying a red Jeep. Like, like it is the most like, great idea you've ever had. And then Oh man, there's a red jeep, and there's a red jeep, and there's a red jeep. Right? I, I liken that to the Holy Spirit. When, when you don't have a context into which to understand the role of this Holy Spirit and who He is, and you start beginning a context for who He is, then you start going, oh, well, there's, there's the Holy Spirit. Or you start reading the Bible and you going, oh, wait a minute. It actually said spirit there. I've never, uh, I haven't remember ever reading that word before, right? And so so that's when I once you recognize him, you begin to understand who he is, you begin to understand context. And listen, I would say you begin to understand and recognize his voice. Remember I taught you, I mean, I repeat this teaching so many different times, but you understand who's talking by the tone. Because at first it sounds like you, but actually the tone, and I'll say the tone is the tone of Christ, the tone of the Father. Listen, this is the Holy Spirit. It is the tone of the spirit interacting with you, guiding you, directing you, empowering you. That, that is, and once you, but, but you don't have a context for that. You don't know who to, to accredit that with. You don't know who to ask that from. You don't know who to give credit to. So God's timing again being impeccable. <coughs> so when, when on this day of Pentecost is the first harvest of this new fledgling church because Peter gets up after, and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you stuff before I tell you stuff, and that's on purpose, all right? Peter stands up and he preaches to a, I mean, thousands. I mean, there's no telling how many thousands of people he is giving this address to. And I say that because 3,000 of them respond to his message. It's inconceivable to think that 100% of the people, right, responded. I mean, someone went, right? So, so there's no telling how many thousands of people are there. And Peter steps up in front and says, the man you crucified 50 days ago, that's who's responsible for all of this. He really was the Messiah. And 3,000 people said, well, what do we do now? Really, that's what they say. We believe you. What do we do now? They said they were, they were, they were torn to the heart. And he said, repent. And they repented. They, they, they said, no, we believe that he, he is the Messiah. We repent of our, of our sin and our, our separation from God. This is, this, is the, this is the person we've been told about. How is it possible that Peter would do this when 53, day, 53 days earlier, he says, I don't even know this guy. That was the message last week. How does that change in 53 days? It is a testimony of what the Holy Spirit, now he knew God and he knew Jesus. And now he's filled with the Spirit and he is not the same man. He's not operating in the same power. He's not hiding in a corner. He is up front, really where Peter was always wired to be. And now 3,000 people when you read the end of Acts chapter two, more thousands start coming. And this is is a matter of days, maybe weeks. How's that possible? The harvest is possible because God initiated the harvest on the day that we celebrated harvest. Do you see his timing on that? He's he's illustrating this has always been a day about harvest. And here's your harvest. Harvest. And this begins the establishment of the main harvest mechanism that God has, the church. The church is the harvest mechanism. In Acts chapter two, people saw all these people gathering together, and now they were they were they were um, uh, gathering around the teaching, the apostles' teaching. They were gathering around now now a renewed Passover. Now we're receiving this communion, this Eucharist. We're receiving it regularly, and the fellowship was was dynamic in the sense that even when someone came in this setting and they had need, someone else found out about that need, had the opportunity to meet that need, and they met that need. Now listen. This Jewish culture, first century, they're very intertwined. I mean, it's, it's not like they kind of were, were loners behind the privacy fences and their garage door openers. So, so this still had to be something significantly different, significantly different that they were drawn to. This is the harvest beginning and the church being initiated as this harvest uh, kind of mechanism. Um, So the the law was a temporary bridge to God. This is how you stay connected to me. That was the law, temporary bridge. The cross becomes the permanent bridge. Cross becomes the permanent bridge. Now Christ has bridged, bridged, uh, bridged this gap once and for all for all time. Temporary, permanent. So what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit now is to teach us how to live life. When you came to Christ and you were like, I don't know what to do next. The Holy Spirit is the one who tells us and teaches us what to do next. When you come to Christ and you realize there was an old lifestyle that you've had and you know that that lifestyle should not be the way you continue to live. How do you break away from that lifestyle? The power of the Holy Spirit. Because you couldn't do that on your own before, but now we're empowered to do it. Because of the Holy Spirit. We can't, I'll say this even we can't become all of whom we've been freed to become without the abiding, guiding, guiding presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Just like we need freedom from sin initiated for us at Passover, we need the presence and the power of God through the Holy Spirit initiated at Pentecost. I mean, well, i Hopefully I'll transfer that one thought to where it really should fit. So our summer series is called Fire and Wind, a summer of renewal. In the first four weeks, I'm going to focus on the Holy Spirit's renewal presence in our personal life. And then the back half of the summer, renewal of our purpose and renewal of power. Um, Again, the church was always the place where your purpose was to be discovered to be matured, to allow that purpose to flourish and change and grow so that that purpose is lived out here and there. It's not exclusive. Our purpose isn't lived out here and not there or out there and not here. That this, this becomes the petri dish of learning what your purpose is and what your giftings and callings are and how they get fleshed out and mature. Like, like um, if I said that I was gifted and called to sing, you know, first of all, that's not true but just because that becomes my gifting and thing I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm propelled to do doesn't mean I'm good at it right now. Or all that, all that would mean is God's calls you to, to do what you're good at. Not, what he's, not just what he's wired you for. Now, the very fact that you're good at it may be a clean indication that he's gifted you for it, but has that been empowered, infused with power by the Holy Spirit so that its impact is so much greater than what it has been up to this point? And the church is the place for all this to play out. So this is, a, um, this is a really fresh sermon series for me. I've never spent eight consecutive weeks teaching on the Holy Spirit, and especially the Holy Spirit's interaction with the church. But I can recall, yes, have I taught on it? Yes, absolutely. Do I interject it? Yes, absolutely. But have I spent this kind of time around it? I have not. And for some of you, this is gonna be a stretch. How many again would say to me, Pastor, the, the, an emphasis or an understanding or at least due time to the Holy Spirit is completely foreign to any of my background, religious background, raise your hand. Don't be afraid to do this. this is, if there's not more hands, I won't be disappointed. Okay, now we get it. Now we're going right? Okay, so I'll get to the reasons why that has been. Um, but I always wanted our place to be a place where people belonged and then learn to believe. That, that there are there's reasons why people who have, okay, you have a Pentecostal or charismatic spirit filled background, that's in your background, raise your hand. Okay? There's more hands. But you know, there's been many, many, many more hands that's been in this place that don't stay. I've had, I've had as many people to say that we're too charismatic as I've had say we're not charismatic enough. And I say, fine. We are who we are. We are a place where I want you to grow and understand and develop and trust who this person is, known as the Holy Spirit. And for those of you that have this background, my background was not very, my background on the Holy Spirit was, was pretty wide and really shallow. It looked a certain way. Anybody else have that experience? it looked a certain way. And if it didn't look like this way, it wasn't that. So those with that background, I want you to hang with me too. Because I want our width and depth of understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. What he wants to do, what he can do, what he was sent to do. Change and transform, not just how we do church, but how we do life. How we do life, how we do mission is transformed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, isn't a force to employ as much as He is a person to embrace. And this is where my little shallow place came in that the Holy Spirit was a force. He was a force. Is He a force? I'm like, yeah, he's a force. Good grief about ready to win him read about him blowing in like a hurricane. The, the dude's got force. Okay? But we're attracted to that. We are inordinately attracted to force. We're less inclined to embrace as person. Which means then we chase after what he does Not so much about who he is. But if we can get a balance of who he is and listen and not be afraid of the force because there's a bunch of people, me included many times, are a little afraid about how he might decide to act in any given time in reference. I remember I hired an administrative assistant in Atlanta who, who was Methodist. Um, I didn't have a religious litmus test. I just wanted to know if she could work. So the first time she shows up at a church service in Atlanta, there was, and we'll get to this later on, so don't freak out on me, there was what's, what's known as a message in tongues. Some of you are familiar, some of you are not. So think about, in this setting of several thousand people, someone says out loud a bunch of stuff that you don't know what they just said. And then a moment later, Someone out loud said what they said in English. Man, when I got home. All right, what is that? Who gets to do that? Right? How do you know that's true? Right? I mean, just because those are natural questions. Those are good questions to ask. But that doesn't mean to be afraid of what the Holy Spirit does and acts. Because what that would mean is that we're afraid of God. that we're afraid that God somehow will act out. Now, do people act out? Yes. And there's a whole host of understanding in the New Testament Paul teaches on what my responsibility is or whoever's responsibility is on a given Sunday morning to maintain the order of what's taking place. But can I say that we're falling so in love with order that we miss out on a lot of what he wants to say and how he says it. I'm all for order. People say, I don't, like, I don't like organized religions. I say, I don't like disorganized religion. <laughs> You're gonna to have to get more specific, you know, with me. All right. Um, so here's what happens in the middle of this National Festival of Pentecost. National Festival of Pentecost. In one particular room, 120 of Jesus' followers are obeying what he told them to do. And they're in one room and they were told to go there and wait. Now they weren't waiting in this room for, for 10 days, but they I would say they significantly spent significant time with themselves praying. And in this particular case, here's what happens. It's recorded in Acts chapter two, verses one through four. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pretty significant altogether, that all together, they were unified over what they were searching for. Okay? They were unified. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So when I read uh, phrases like, sound like, seem to be, it tells me that they're trying to describe something very, very new. They had not had any kind of experience like this before. And he's fighting for words and descriptions. And we know that in scripture fire is a purifying agent. And we know that wind, um, uh, well, filled is a word uh, to to capacity. Um, Wind is actually a unique, wind and breath always represents the Holy Spirit. Wind, breath. So we hear words like new, sensational, powerful, purifying, filled. And when I look at the tongues part, I look at it as there's personal there was a personal impact. There was a personal impact, right? You, you, don't, you don't have that experience um, on the sideline of that. So, so there was, a, there was a, per, a personal application that they were feeling there. One of the reasons why the Holy Spirit uh, doesn't get the attention to match his activity is because it's very difficult to relate to fire and wind, right? Fire, wind, spirit, water. How, how do you relate to that? Right? In the Old Testament, we get a good picture of God because he's known as God the Father. And regardless of your interaction with your father, regardless of what that looked like, you still understand, and I understand that it taints sometimes our understanding of God, but God the Father is pretty plain to look at, right? God the Father, okay, I get that. I get that concept of Father. All right, well, well Jesus now is God's son. Well, we're sons and daughters. We understand that relationship as well, right? So God the Father, check. God the Son, yeah, I got that too. God, the spirit, huh? H- how do you relate? How is it possible to relate to spirit? Well, I want you to understand that, that the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity, what's known as the Trinity, God existing in three persons, one God, not three gods, one God existing in three persons of the same substance. This is crucial to Christianity. I mean, this is the heart of Christianity. In fact, without embracing the Trinity, it's not Christian. It was so important for the early church to understand in the early third century, a council formed, the Council of Nicaea, in order to hammer out what does it mean to be a Christian. We need to get this definition clear. And between that and another council at the end of that century, they came up with what's just simply known as the Nicene Creed. Now, if you are of a, of, of a background of Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, you, you probably are familiar with the Nicene Creed, right? But if you grew up in a Pentecostal church like I did, Nicaea who? We didn't. We create. What's a creed, right? What's a creed? Well, here. So, so here's for for my spirit-filled folks. Here is this creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. God, check. We believe in one so this is 1,600 years old, just, just for you that would need that history. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, that the Creed is trying to establish. He just wasn't a guy that was born. OK? Begotten, not made of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Jesus, check. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Not this separate source over here, the Lord, the giver of life. We see him giving life. You can read it in Genesis 1, and you can read it in the Gospels, where he hovered over the womb of Mary. who proceeds from the Father and Son, with the Father and Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. God the Father, check. God the Son, check. God the Spirit, check. All this is what it means to be a Christian. And then we believe in the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The ultimate thing that we're looking for when he returns for us. Clearly, the church, even as early as the third century, believed the embrace of the Holy Spirit was necessary for Christianity. And many faith traditions downplay the Holy Spirit, um, don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit. While they'll acknowledge his legitimacy in the Trinity, they deny his activity today. Who grew up in a faith tradition? that said that the activity of the Holy Spirit ceased with the death of the last apostle. Anyone? Okay, several of you. The question I always had with that is why? If the Holy Spirit was necessary for the establishment and the launch of the first church and the transformation of the apostles in that 120 why in the world would we not need the same transformation, activity, and power of him now? I think it's a legitimate question, never a great answer to that question. Now, it's hypothesis, except when you see how the Holy Spirit still acts today and you go, he didn't stop. What we become afraid of is what it looks like. What does it look like to be baptized, immersed, clothed in the Holy Spirit? Will it be something that I'm okay with? And the question I ask is, are you okay with salvation? Are you okay with the change and the transformation that 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 took place there? And if you are, then the Holy Spirit is what enables that change to have efficacy, power. It, it it allows us it allows us to learn again think about think about the giving of the law. This is what it was celebrating. And the giving of the Spirit. What was the giving of the law to do? Identity. Teach them how to worship? Give him the give them a pattern on how to live. So do we not need the same things now? Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus leads. Well, who steps in Jesus' place? The Holy Spirit. It's a natural progression. Uh, God is building this scaffolding for us to live and thrive right now. Um, so, okay, Charlie, then do we ever get a picture of who the Holy Spirit is? Because the fire, wind, spirit thing is still a lot to swallow. And the answer is yes. We do get a picture of who he is. And Jesus is the one who gives us this picture. John 14, 15 through 20, and then 25 through 27. I'm reading this out of the Amplified. And to remind you, in English, our words, we, 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 use a, we don't use a lot of words. So there could be a word that has a lot of layered meaning, but we, can, we only translate it as one word. But say in the Greek, it has a lot of different uh, inferences to that, all right? So what the Amplified Version does is it helps you see all that in English, okay? All right, so here's Jesus' teaching before the Passover. He said, if you really love me, you will keep my commandments. And I I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, the word indicates someone like me. I'm this, and He's going to give you someone like me. I'm this. He's going to give you another this. You with me? This is another helper. Well, great day. I need another helper. Right? The word word doesn't carry a lot, does it? Right? Because if you say, I need another helper, that means I'm still leading. I'm still leading, so I need a helper. All right? Now, think about it. When When Jesus leaves, they didn't become leaders. their first call was always to be what? Followers. They're followers. But now Jesus, they were following Jesus. Well, now Jesus is gone. He's going to ascend. Well, if Jesus is gone, does that, now does that make me now leader? No, I'm still a follower. But I need somebody else to follow. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But now when he ascends, he's going to send someone that can be in all places at all times. And I don't have to be a leader, I'm still a follower. All right? So who is this new leader? Well, he's just like Jesus, another helper. But then he breaks it out. Comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby to be with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be where? In you. In you. I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, bereaved, or helpless. I will come back to you. It's a double ring. I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm going to send the Spirit, and I'm coming back. After a little while, the world will, will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. Team, come on up early. Because I live, you will live also. On that day, when that time comes, you will know for yourselves that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Now, you skip a number of verses and this is how he ends it. I have told these things while I'm still with you, but the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things. He will help you remember everything that I've told you peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be afraid. You're about to enter a new land with new things, but don't be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. Do we, do we need that? Do we need peace and calm in every circumstance and courage and strength for every challenge? Do we need that? All right, this, this hit me this morning. On the night that Jesus resurrected, he appears to the disciples bodily. He says, goes through this locked door and he appears to them bodily. And it says, first thing he tells them is peace. And it says, he breathes on them, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Because the questions I've had before is, well, if you've given them the Holy Spirit then, then what's this about Acts 2? And here's what hit me this morning. What they needed in that moment on that resurrection evening, they needed peace. And the Holy Spirit was what he breathed on them for them to have peace. 50 days later, they need more than peace. 50 days later, they need power. They need to know what, what do I got to do to live out what you're calling me to do they needed power. And now the Holy Spirit comes in power. The one thing I want you to understand is the Holy Spirit does not, immer- when we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is not imperceptible. What I hold on to is I've never been in a room with fire and wind before. Fire and wind was the first time there was fire and wind. I've never been in a room with fire and wind. When i was baptized in the spirit when i can just tell you that what i I knew is i knew there was a moment in time something was different now for me for me it came it came in tongues and again we'll talk about it but in others that i've prayed with through my many years of leading alpha and specific there's been all kinds of different explanations of their explaining how they felt in that moment and quite honestly it was generally connected to the thing they were struggling with the most i remember one person started laughing and afterwards when i'm able to unpack it a little bit they said they had been without joy for years i had someone just cry i i would think tears sometimes is a is an initial sign of being immersed in the Holy Spirit and, and when you unpack that there's this feeling of relief that someone's going through if there's no doubt throughout the New Testament tongues is real again we'll talk about it but that's what most people's hang up is around the Holy Spirit if they've had any contact is around I don't want that to happen I, I don't want that. I don't want nothing to do with that. I don't want nothing to do with someone running around. It's funny. I've seen I see football and, and and baseball celebrations now. They'll mimic. They'll you know that, that that is an old school mimic of a Pentecostal in a church service. I just want you to know. And I'm like, dude, they get away with it on a baseball field. And I would just say all those expressions that you may have seen or heard about or experienced or whatever. Man, that is just jo- uncapable joy. that's it there's only one way to explain it yes have i seen people act out yes sure sure they do but i'm not gonna let a few rogue people drive me away from a person in the daggum trinity well i'm good with the father and i'm good with the son but the holy spirit you need to just here's your box Here's your box because when you're praying for peace right now when you're praying for power when you're praying for healing when you're praying for uh, Wisdom when you're making those prayers. Who do you think is praying those things with you? It's the Holy Spirit's praying those things with you I asked someone in particular this week that I knew did not have a background In Pentecost I said But have been part of our church for a long time now, but not a background and I she said something very very poignant to me when I said, what, what, what do you think the hang-up was? What do you think the breakdown was? She said, I never had a frame of reference for recognizing who he was and what he did. No frame of reference. And anyway, that makes perfect sense to me. That makes perfect sense. If you have no frame of reference, how do you know? How do you know? Here is the background before we pray in Acts 1 and 8. This is, this is Jesus's words recorded by Luke. Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and uh, and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the what? The, The gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized or clothed with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered around them and asked them, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's what they asked Jesus. He said, that's not the right question right now. The question right now is not for you to know the dates and times the Father has sent by his own authority, but here's now your new assignment. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, be. The Spirit is given to be, be always precedes do. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is a gift, and he's a person. What do you have to do to receive a gift? You open your hands to receive a gift. You say yes to a gift, right? You don't have to receive a gift. I can offer you a gift right now. You don't have to receive it, right? To receive a gift, you have, to, you have to want the gift. In this case, right, we have to ask for salvation, correct? Christ died. He's died for everyone. He hasn't left anybody off that list that he hasn't died for. But to receive salvation, you ask for salvation. The Holy Spirit's been given. He's giving to every single one of us. In order to receive it, we ask because he's a gift. We ask. That's what they were doing. Waiting in the upper room for 10 days, they were asking. Yeah. They didn't know what they were asking for, they know what was promised. Let me just end with this there's a difference about a sponge being in the water and the water being in a sponge. Still wet, still functional, but you know when the water's in the sponge, when you pick the sponge up out of the water and everything comes out of that sponge is water. We'll get to that, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And so today, in the time we have remaining, the offer to you today from the Father on the day of Pentecost is Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit to receive and to not be concerned about the implications of the gift other than what we read. I said it this way years and years ago at Gateway and it stuck with me. If God has more, why would you want less? And if you're less concerned about what happens, like I don't anticipate an earthquake here. I don't anticipate wind blowing through doors, I, but he can do whatever he wants to do. And that's where you got to come down to it. I don't anticipate hundreds of you running around the room dancing. I don't anticipate that. But what's interesting is if you couldn't contain what was going on, I'd be fine with Some of you might not be. I can just assure you, just trust me. I know what I'm doing up here. Okay, So my first rodeo. I've been doing it in a minute. All right, trust me. And if you've already trusted me through these years, just keep trusting me. Because I'm not teaching you anything that's not out of the word, right? So they're gonna lead us in a song and I just invite you to do whatever. I mean, it's stand with your arms raised, come to the altar, kneel, stand with your arms raised, but ask for this gift. You with me? Ask for the gift. Ask for the gift. Everybody stand. Holy Spirit, you have, you have been center stage today, and I pray today that in my weaknesses and my frailties and in my inabilities, that you still have done everything that you've intended to do in this time of teaching, and I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I pray today that they would receive the gift. That you offer to them, regardless of their frame of reference, regardless of how deep their experience has been to this point, regardless if they they have all the knowledge there ever could be about who you are, I pray in this moment that you would fill us and that you would refill us, that you would baptize us, rebaptize us, Lord. That that you would you would we would immerse ourselves in you that you would clothe us in the name of Jesus. Congregation, I encourage you to ask with all your heart and God, I ask that you would fulfill your promise on this day in your name, amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.